Welcome back to another installment of my main man, Matt, as we go through our fall lectionary cycle. And we today are landing on Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35, um, another time with Peter talking to Jesus and Jesus this time responding with a parable. It reads as follows. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if one another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But the same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you have not had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Here ends the gospel reading. Well, there is a lot to dissect in this uh, parable for sure. Um, But we begin with Peter's question um, right on the heels of last week's text about the idea of forgiveness, um, reconciliation within the community or the church. And now Peter is asking, well, what does forgiveness look like? And there is a sense that uh, there's a limited number of times we need to forgive. And we should uh, give Peter some credit here. He is following the Jewish laws of his day as he understands that uh, the divine number of times to forgive according to the law would be seven times. So it's a generous number that he throws out. But I think it's also a way to acknowledge that Jesus is having a new dialogue with Jewish law and trying to push the the understanding of Jewish law to uh, a different point of of unlimited forgiveness. So when Peter asks his question, how many times should I forgive? Seven. Uh, Jesus' his answer is in response to that 77 times or 70 times seven, um, depending on how people translate that. But the the end of it is the result is the same that it means unlimited forgiveness, right? Because what if we just kept tally of all of the times we forgave and all the wrongs uh, that were committed against us, even if we got to that number, it would defeat the entire purpose of what forgiveness is trying to accomplish. If we're keeping track of 
the number of times somebody has sinned against us, we are in a different mindset than when we're keeping, um, uh, not keeping score and allowing ourselves to know that it doesn't matter what the number is. Our task our, um, as a disciple, a follower of God, is to simply forgive and show mercy um, as we ourselves obviously need to have mercy shown to us. Jesus tries to drive this point home with a parable, and there is um, some problematizing with this parable, too, that um, I'm going to get at here near the end. But let's jump into this parable real quick. Uh, Jesus follows how forgiveness works when he uses the example of two slaves, um, and the first slave has a huge, huge debt. Like, like he could never repay this debt in his lifetime kind of debt. Um, the king is reckoning his debt that he should, uh, he should pay him, but he pleads, um, for his case that somehow he would be patient and that he would free and forgive his debt, um, or at least have mercy on him, um, patient so that he might pay him everything. Um, and he does, the king has pity for him and releases the entire debt from the slave. And you would think that with the release of that huge debt that he could not even repay in his lifetime, that he would reflect in his own personal life much more mercy towards others. But the parable goes on to say that uh, the other slave uh, of, of his, a fellow slave, uh, has a small debt, one that isn't uh, anywhere near the amount of debt that he owed the king. And he gets an opportunity to be in the role of the king um, and forgive this debt or, you know, further, um, further go after him for it. Uh, and, of course, he chooses to uh, throw him in prison um, because he cannot pay uh, the debt and has the very opposite response. Uh, apparently, he must have interpreted that he had divine favor with the king and so he could do whatever he wanted rather than interpreting from the king uh, a sense of mercy for his own life to be merciful to his fellow slave. But of course, the other fellow slaves who saw what occurred were very troubled and they brought this to the king's attention and, and therefore the king brings back the slave who he forgave all of this amazing debt to and asks him um, uh, to call to an account, and he is angry uh, over the slave's treatment of his fellow slave, and, uh, and so he hands him over to be tortured, uh, the text says, until his entire debt was paid. Uh, and then the concluding words are, this is how our Heavenly Father will do to every one of us when we do not forgive our brother or sister from our heart. It's a few thoughts that I have as I think about this parable. Um, one of them is, of course, the, the parable's initial uh, thrust is to talk about the importance of showing mercy, right? That we understand that our relationship to, our, to God is one rooted in mercy, that we even as Lutherans have a very way, uh, a good way of talking about the fact of of grace is God's undeserved love and favor. That this idea that 
we are reconciled to God and in relationship to God and creation, not because we have done or deserved to be in that position, but that indeed um, our our debt or our transgressions or our sins um, have been uh, taken care of because of God's great mercy and love for us, not because we have done something amazing to, to deserve this. And this is lived out in this parable, right? This idea that all of us have a debt that is far more than we could ever owe uh, or pay back that we owe. And in spite of that fact, God doesn't hold that against us. Um, God releases us from that debt and allows us to live in the freedom that comes uh, from that released debt. And when we live in that freedom, we can live in that freedom for other people. The ideal uh, response would be for those who have been showing mercy that they should in turn give mercy to others so that we live in a world where we are showing mercy to um, other neighbors who have wronged us or who have somehow we have uh, have transgressions against us. That's a way of living a life of forgiveness and reconciliation rather than holding on to wrongs and allowing uh, the accruement of of our transgressions against one another just to add up. And you can imagine how communities uh, and relationships to one another would be ultimately changed when we take time to show mercy and love uh, rather than hold on to wrongs and keep adding up the score. Our ability to keep... Um, score here is why the parable was first issued to Peter and the disciples. Keeping score is the opposite of what God wants from us. God doesn't want us to keep adding up the debt that others have against us or transgressions. Instead, God wants us to let let that go and show mercy. So that's the powerful part of the parable. And the problematic part of the parable is uh, I think rooted in a sense of Jewish antiquity here, right? That uh, if we're not showing mercy in return, just like we were showing mercy to our Heavenly Father, by our Heavenly Father, then it says that uh, we will instead be in this uh, caught in this judgment uh, that will ensue, right? Um, out of anger, God took uh, handed the slave over uh, to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. And, and I think that's the problematic part, right? You know, it, it, it almost, it gives the appearance that, uh, that God is pro-torture, but I would characterize this part of the parable a little differently. I think that the author of Matthew and the community that Matthew is speaking to has a worldview where, um, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that there was this, even earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is uh, addressing that particular law. The idea is that you would only, it was a merciful law in the beginning, right? Is the idea that you would never overreach your response to somebody else. If somebody wronged you, you would never wrong them in a fashion greater than they've wronged you. You would limit your retribution to the same level. And uh, when Jesus is bringing that law forward in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes on to name that 
you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. And then he goes to say, but our call is even to be more merciful than that. Not, um, not even to, uh, uh, have to pay back wrongs, but paying back wrongs was considered a part of culture, right? That, that was the typical way in which people saw how justice worked, that justice had that, that, uh, idea and character to it. And, we're trying to live into a different way of understanding justice, that it's not repaying somebody equally for what they've done wrong to us, but even maybe leaning into this idea of mercy, despite the fact that it's undeserved, as uh, a way of living into God's kingdom. But nonetheless, we have Matthew kind of saying, well, if you are not living into this justice and mercy uh, of life, that he's, the slave is left to be tortured. And and I think that that says more maybe about the author of Matthew than it does about Jesus here, um, or at least uh, God's understanding of uh, the evolution of, of humankind um, as we think about how God is at work in the world. God is always many steps in front of us as our, we develop as God's people. And as we live into that knowledge, we understand that um, God was probably, well, God, I believe, was never pro-torture, but some of God's people still believe that that's possible. And so our theologies are always lagging behind where God is at. And so how can we continue to move forward to understand where our humanity sometimes intersects our knowledge about God? And this is one of those cases where I feel like it's really clear that um, God is uh, not behind torture, but that maybe the people of that day still find that um, a possibility. That, of course, could bring up lots of other thoughts as we have gone through our own sense in our, our last you know, couple decades of time about the place of torture or the place of uh, payback uh, within our own uh, global scene and what's appropriate and, and inappropriate. And I, I don't want to get caught up in that loop because I think I'd rather focus on what the point of the parable was, which is rather than think about an ultimate judgment, or if there is even an ultimate judgment, is to think about the mandate of, of showing mercy. And I, I heard this said once that really strikes home to me, is that if we focus all our attention and energy on the things that the Bible calls us to do, uh, we don't have to worry about all the all the things that we're called not to do. Um, so if we focus on the do's rather than the don'ts, um, we will live a, a great life um, in the ways in which uh, God's laws and uh, mandates uh, call us to live. So uh, the the sentiment that we're left with at the end of this parable is that our call is to forgive our brothers and sisters from our hearts. So instead of focused on the judgment when we don't do that, because I think ultimately it just, the judgment is um, self-prescribed and we, we end up having to live with the messiness of not doing that work. But when we focus our attention on actually doing the work, following through on the commands of what we can do as God's people, I think then we have a chance to live a life of true release and freedom. 
And when that debt is forgiven, it's like a burden is lifted. And I think in this case, our burdens can be lifted when we practice the art of forgiving our brothers and sisters from our heart. We live unencumbered from what that means to keep track of the of the debts and the sins that others have uh, transgressed against us. I think that's ultimately God's call in this parable is how can we live in the freedom that forgiveness and mercy offers? We know what that's like to feel the sense of freedom that God offers us. How can we extend that same freedom and forgiveness and mercy to others? There's the call uh, of the gospel for us today. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we are grateful today that you teach us about mercy. Thank you for giving us your love and mercy to follow as our example. Be with us now as we extend that same love and mercy to others. Amen.